This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. This week, we have another bonus episode for you. This time, it's App Growth Strategies for 2024 panel discussion from our App Promotion Summit Berlin that we hosted on back on November 30th, 2023. On the panel, we had Wendy Tay, Head of Performance Marketing at Volt, Ara Salbashian, Head of Digital Marketing at FreeNow, Alexander Beresford, Chief Growth Officer at TaxFix, and Rodolfe Helderworth, Head of Marketing at Tandem. AppGrowth is one of the evergreen teams in app marketing. It was relevant and important five years ago, it was crucial last year, and it continues to be on minds of app marketers this year. The focus of this panel was on effective team management, what trends can be seen in the market, suggestions for app growth. Ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, app growth strategies for 2024 panel. Enjoy. Maybe we have you all introduce yourselves. Wendy, if you don't mind starting. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm Wendy, I'm leading performance marketing at Walt. Um, started about 10 months ago. Um, yeah, we're a delivering company um, headquartered in Finland, founded in 2014. It was purchased by DoorDash in two years ago in a $7 billion deal. And I was trying to make bets on what was the most uh, ordered food on Vault. Should we have the audience guess? Is it pizza or burgers? So I actually checked the data. It's pretty 50-50 between pizza and burger. But I can share like the best, the top search term in our app. If anyone wants to give, a, give it a shot. Uh. <laughs> it's actually MC. So everybody's going to the app trying to look for a McDonald's delivery. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Uh, and Ara, do you want to introduce yourself quickly? Sure. Hi. I'm Ara from FreeNow. I'm the head of digital marketing. Uh, so my team heads up all paid activities for B2B, B2C, uh, also driver marketing, passenger marketing, and ASO. Um, and yeah, we, we run campaigns for, for all markets for FreeNow, the multi-mobility app. And since you're working for free now, how do you actually travel within cities? That's funny because I love walking, so I'm, I'm, I'm not the best customer, but that's mainly in the summer. And I find if I'm in a hurry or the weather is bad or I need to get someone somewhere far, I, I love car sharing, so I love miles. Uh, I also take the metro a lot and taxis as well. And, and that's what I like about free now. You can book any type of transport mode through different companies. Um, Basically, we get you where you want, however you want. So we're an aggregator of other brands. We don't own our fleet. Uh, yeah. Well, that's how I got here today. So. <laughs> and uh, Alex, maybe you next. Uh, yeah, so Alex, uh, Chief Growth Officer at TaxFix, the largest tax filing app in, uh, in Europe. Um, basically, making taxes as easy as we can. And then the responsibilities go across uh, Growth, engineering, product, data, marketing, brand, all the fun stuff. 
Um, do you see how much you save your customers uh, in taxes, or are you allowed to disclose that? Uh, yes, so I checked. I think now it's at 3.6 billion euros in taxes saved in <laughs> a bit more than six years. Uh, nice. So I hope we hit the uh, 20 billion in a couple of years from now. There you have it, everybody. Start filing your taxes, maybe, and uh, get some money back. And last but not least, Rodolf. Hi. Hi, everyone. My name is Rodolf. I'm head of marketing at Tandem. Tandem is a language exchange app that connects you with uh, native speakers from the country you're trying to learn and vice versa. I've been at Tandem for about three years now. Came to APS about two years ago speaking about influencers. I'll tell you a little bit today like why influencers is not a thing for us anymore. Um, and yes, really excited to share the stage with, with everyone around here today. And what's the most practiced language in, in Tandem, actually? By far, it's English. But the highest amount of native speakers is actually Spanish. Spanish. It's sometimes hard to find a good confiation between like, all of the wish versus like, the actual supply that we've got. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Um, so then jumping into the questions um, and thinking about UA, Ara, let's start with you, perhaps. Can you talk a bit about how much uh, how your setup is is now in terms of is it mobile focus, multi-channel, uh, or going beyond mobile when looking at this year? Great question. Uh, I mean, my team is fully mobile focused, app focused, but uh, the the reality is demand isn't only on mobile. So as as a company, we really take a multi-channel approach because if you think about the transportation industry, demand usually takes place on the streets or, or if you're in the U-Bahn trying to get to a place. So I think uh, that's why multi-channel is, is a really key element for free now. So we invest in a lot of offline channels like out of home, even uh, transport specific channels like OCA, ICA, so that's on-car advertising or in-car advertising uh, and, and working with events and influencers. And I think this is key because if you think about it in certain cities, even in Germany, some people still book taxis on, on, on a telephone, like they call taxi numbers. It's, it's not on app or mobile. And uh, others retail in certain cities. So if you want to convert offline users to mobile, you need to approach it holistically. Um, so yeah, that's key. Another thing is we try to uh, be present in areas where our audience indexes highly. So our audience really likes live concerts, so we've sponsored musicians and events in the UK where we get visibility there. Yeah. Very interesting. And Wendy? Yeah, um, I would say pretty omni-channel because we are well also app and web-based. Um, a lot of people used to work, uh, well, order food on the website, right? Like Because food delivery is nothing new. It's, been, it's gone way back. Um, so yeah, what we're trying to do is we have um, central local team set up. Central team basically focuses on um, all the digital channels across the whole funnel. So starting from brand to user acquisition, direct response campaigns. Um, we are live in, I think, a bit more than 30 digital channels across all 25 markets that we're, we're operating in. Um, and then we have the local team then supporting the local initiatives. So when it comes to discount, affordability, uh, offline channels, out-of-home TV, like things that you can think of, prints as well, um, as we expand to more cities across um, all of our markets. So yeah, pretty covered. And most recently, um, we also have this employer benefit program. So basically, if, you, if you're an employer, you can offer your um, employees like budgeted food, let's say like, okay, we want to offer you three meals a week and then um, your employers, employees can simply sign up and um, order directly. And this is also one, one of our ways of generating not just awareness, but um, direct user acquisition. Nice. 
Rodolphe? Well, Tandem is a very unique position, so that's why I was hearing a lot of paid acquisition, but for us, actually, your main source of acquisition is actually organic. So about 90 to 95 of our 1,000 daily new members are actually coming organically. So for us, the, the challenge was really this year to restructure the entire company, the entire organization, to really think about how can we actually bring virality within the product. Because word of mouth is something, and we were really thinking and really developing new features of how can we make the user want it to actually bring even more users, even like their pairs, their friends, family. Um, and that's why so we've been developing like new features that are like called clubs and parties. One of them is like audio room focused, the other one is more like interest focused. And uh, and because actually at Tonham, you know, we've got like a low LTV, we actually need to be creative. We always have to to do to do actually less, to do more with less, actually. And um, and this is where the all of the challenges coming from. We have been doing paid acquisition. Like I think earlier this year, represented about like five percent total of our acquisition, um, and it's now actually at twelve percent. So a few years ago, we were using influencers and content creators a lot to actually create the creatives. Uh, but what we've been actually doing a lot this year when it comes to paid acquisition is actually to use like or two or three video creators that we have and actually them using AI technology to have all of those creatives displayed in every other 12 other languages that we have. Oh. We could actually be way more efficient and quick in the way that we produce and still maintaining like a really low amount of cost rather than actually having to use 12 different, uh, 12 different influencers for just creating like one video that would be actually one video in each local. Okay. And Alex, uh, how's the setup on your side? Uh, we started mobile first five, six years ago, and nowadays it's about 35 user acquisition sources and engagement sources. I don't really like the word omni-channel. I kind of made fun of it like 10 years ago, but uh, we're omni-channel. Um, and the latest one has been <laughs> on the uh, B2B2C side, so uh, filing your taxes through your employer uh, in Italy, for example. Ah, excellent. Um, well, since you know everybody is probably right now on the marketing teams are budget, uh, budgeting and planning for next year, and sometimes there's a dilemma between, uh, as you'd say, allocating extra channel resources or regional uh, resources, and of course there's pros and cons to both of these things. Could you, uh, Wendy, maybe start with uh, sharing some of how your team is organized and, and the channels and regions and your thoughts on this dilemma? Yeah, yeah, it's been a quite um, long, let's say, budgeting journey, right, like for 2024. Um, as mentioned earlier, we have the regional and central team set up. Um, when it comes to like the actual budget allocation within digital channels, it's important to note that we don't have channel owners. We're not operating or splitting our teams based on channel, uh, channel expertise, but more like country owner. So of course, we want everybody to be great at the channels that they're operating in, but at the same time, we want everybody to care more about the growth of the country as a whole instead of, okay, now I need to spend more on, on Meta, more on Snap or on certain channels, but rather thinking about what are connecting those dots. And this translates to how we plan the budget as well. When we set budget targets, it's like this entire year, year plan, right? But then throughout the each month, each quarter, you have a chance to say like, look, this is something 
like I'm, I'm seeing my efficiency deteriorating. So how can I do with this additional budget that was already allocated to me? You flag it soon enough, discuss with your local teams, look at all the initiatives that have worked in the past and allocate that instantly without having to get layers of approvals from, from management. So the upside of it is, is pretty fluid, right? Like we can simply make those decisions instantly, but at the same time, think about how we have 25 markets, and we're doing this on a weekly basis to steer those budgets based on like our return on investment, LTV, CAC, and so on. It can get a bit chaotic. So our team is set up in a way that we make sure we're not running into the circles of like oh, constantly changing numbers and not have a real chance to evaluate the performance of it. Um, so yeah, and I also want to highlight that what I find it really cool um, having the country set up is everybody will have a chance to work on not just one market, uh, probably more than one. And if you are, I wouldn't say like sick of the market, but if you want to move to a different market to support them, it's also possible because the skill sets you carry with you will be applicable even if you move to a different region. So that also makes our kind of team, I would say culture, very healthy. Um, we have a very low employee churn rate. Excellent. Uh, Ara? Yeah, similar to Wendy, but a, a bit different at Freenow. So our digital marketing team is a central team, while we have local teams that manage offline agencies, PR, influencers, etc. But we have joint goals as a team, so working together. Um, before I joined, it used to be channel split on the digital marketing side. So we had our paid social experts, paid search. But we've just restructured this year, and, and we see a lot of benefits in going... Uh, cross-channel and localized. And it's not for every company. It depends on what growth stage you're in, what your product is, how much localization is needed versus channel specialization. But for us, we take a, a channel agnostic approach. So really with, I would say, the focus on profitability and efficient growth, this made sense for us because it empowered the team to be agile and make these quick budget decisions. If Meta's not performing or Google, they switch the budgets much quicker because they own the whole market. And what we've seen in the mobility space is, is localization is everything. Like your audience is different, their needs, where they are, what works in the UK doesn't work in Germany. So I, I think that level of localization really helps. Um, while I say that, it has pros and cons. So I think Going too general is a risk, and, and you should still try to maintain like a T-shaped marketer model. So have people that specialize and share the knowledge while they still have ownership and, and that localization. Uh, but yeah, to sum up, as I said, it depends on your company. I, I don't think there's a best approach for, for every company. It depends where you're at. So just yeah, assess pros and cons, weigh them, and test it. If it doesn't work, you can revert back. Okay, Rodolf. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, as you say, Ara, I think for me, it really depends on the size of the organization. So I think the size of organization that you might have at Freenow, for example, Taxi Solvo is like quite much bigger, bigger organization where when you actually have to deal with like smaller team, you really think, you really need to think of like how to make everything efficient. Um, so you, I think it is quite challenging also sometimes when you have like such a small team because you need to have pretty much like one strategy that apply for all. Um, there is like obviously like some differentiation. For example, if you think about like the APAC region is quite different. So there we need to always put some more effort compared to Western countries. Um, but at the end of the day, like I truly believe that having an organization based on, uh, on local is actually 
way more powerful because I use, as you were saying that um, being able to deliver like really relevant content to the country you're working is obviously despite the fact that countries to one another could have similarities yet they are still very different the way of buying is different the way of thinking is different and it's like really challenging and I do believe that on the long term, this is something that Atonemi would like to have once we actually expand, having this ability to really localize the strategy per market. But as of now, as we still remain on like a smaller team, we still really have to think really hard of like how to make one strategy that can actually apply for all. Okay. And okay, but in, in light of that, then uh, maybe Ara coming back to you, uh, you know, how is your um, app tech stack evolving, um, and how are you looking into new optimizations uh, and methodologies for 2024? Then is it predictive ROAS, creative optimization in, in terms of incrementality, MMM? Yeah, I, I mean, it's. I think it's the obvious ones a lot of advertisers are doing, but it doesn't mean it's not important. So uh, we're, we're investing a lot in different measurement approaches, solutions, as well as creative automation. So those are the two areas, and, and what I mean in terms of measurement incrementality testing that that's a, a keystone for us like especially when it comes to your re-engagement campaigns we always ask ourselves would these users come back to the app anyways if they didn't see the ad and we test it and we don't test it once we test it per country many times we validate it and then we use this to calibrate our results and we don't just calibrate within the digital marketing channels, but we compare to CRM, to vouchers, just to understand what is the incremental CPA, what's the incremental ROAS. And that tells you one part of the story, because it, it's still incrementality, and then you use attribution. But MMM is also old technology, but something many advertisers are bringing back these days, especially, as I mentioned, for like offline channels, like out-of-home OCA uh, events, you know, attribution is not going to track that. So MMM helps you look at it holistically and, and fill in the gaps and the missing pieces. So attribution and measurement-wise, like, those are the areas we, we've invested in. Um, Creative-wise, I, I think we're, we're investing in tools that help us build um, templates where we can scale and localize creatives. Um, we've also, we're exploring generative AI. So... There are a lot of tools out there, whether it's like Midjourney, Dali, uh, Stable Diffusion. There's a lot you can do to speed up your creative delivery output and testing. Yeah, so I would say tech stack-wise, for, for us, those are like the two focus areas. Okay. And uh, Wendy for Bolt? Yeah, actually, a lot of things have already been said by Arad. So yeah, we do like, of course, incrementality testing is things that we mentioned for for the longest time already. Is there's nothing really new about it. At the end of the day, you want to understand like, if I don't run this channel, will I get increment? Uh, you know, will the user still come anyways? Um, it just makes it very, very difficult nowadays to really track that accurately on your attribution. So, really, a lot of credit to our very own Martech team this year to develop our very own media mix model, um, where we allow to 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 see that. Um, you can really compare what's your attribution number telling you in terms of the customers that you get from certain channels versus what our model is telling us. It is, of course, not 100% accurate, but it's a pretty good guidance for you to take, let's say, bolder decisions, right? Like if somebody tells you like, okay, you have a very good channel um, that is scaling very well with high efficiency, but then the model is telling you to cut the budget by half, will you do it? If you don't have the model, maybe Good you will question. just be like, you know what, I need to hit my target, so I will keep the budget as it is. But if the model is suggesting that, why don't you give it a try, you might see a bit of a 
negative trends for some time, but then it will compensate further down the road, not just in acquisition, but also in further you know, order frequencies and things that you can measure down the road. And this gives us a confidence that, okay, let's give it a try because it's, we're not going to aim just for success for this month, but we want to see like, if this will turn out to the long-term, like doing more with less, like what uh, Rodolfo was saying. So yeah, this is kind of our main focus at the moment, and we're trying to train this model in the way that it also takes in into account of not just online channels that we can track, but also like offline spend, affordability, things that we're running um, alongside our digital campaigns. Okay. And Alex, on TaxFix side? I think a lot has been said already. Um, I would add, on the media mix modeling side, we're trying to find where the science ends and the art starts. Uh, it's kind of misleading to take these models off the shelf and tweak them and say like, okay, that's reality. Give you an example. Uh, how long does a TV ad last in your mind? Is it 30 days, 55 days, 60 days? And then you realize that, oh, media mix models actually also don't have the answer to this stuff. And things like ad stock curves, you need to spend a lot of time on sort of principle-based reasoning, not so much on, on science-based reasoning. Um, on the creative side, finding out how to keep up with generative AI. So we were a pretty early adopter. Of, kind of obsessed with this stuff, but this stuff is changing every 30 days, give or take, depending on which model version you look at. I cannot recall in my entire career a time when jobs changed every 30 days for a large part of the whole org. Uh, and then I'd say on the uh, productivity side, um, trying to get models to talk with models. Um, give you an example, if somebody has a couple of tasks that are all kind of interlinked with each other, how can you per task create a model and then have that model talk to another model and there's just no, no person involved. Um, you can actually do this quite easily now, especially with Assistance API from OpenAI. So yeah, try and figure out where's that new boundary on productivity to, uh, to enhance or empower people to be way more productive. Um, don't have all the answers. Uh, lots of questions, not a lot of answers. <laughs> right. Uh, and then, uh, Wendy, just to expand on your point a little bit, uh, how are you placing more weight on, are you placing more weight on um, engagement or re-engagement versus uh, new acquisitions? And, and if so, uh, any best practices that you can share? Yeah, very good question, because uh, again, we have not just one market. We were founded nine years ago. We have markets where we are pretty penetrated already, where then retention becomes a higher focus than growth. But if you look at Volt as a whole, Growth is still our, our North Star, right? When I say growth, is about the first-time customer that are coming in to make the first purchase. Um, and we, we have the target set, as I said earlier, but then when we measure the, the return on investment every month, if we see that, okay, this month we are overperforming in our profitability, then this is the extra media spend that we can reinvest in, into the wheel. Um, and what we try to do is we realize we have very good... Um, let's say, organic retention. So people who sign up, they do come back to purchase. Uh, people who purchase, they do come back multiple times. Um, what we're trying to do in the paid effort to drive even more stickiness to our app is to promote um, other um, verticals that we have within our service. So actually, I'm not sure if um, everybody is aware, but who here has a Walt Plus subscription? Okay, not that many. Wow. Um, and who's, <laughs> yeah, great, <laughs> great chance. Um, who here has ordered groceries or any other things from Walt besides restaurants? Good. Um, yeah, so this is what we're trying to, trying to um, advertise in, in terms of upselling to our existing customers, right? We're not just delivering food to your door, but we also can deliver pretty much almost everything that you can think of. Um, 
Last year, not last year, last week I was actually in Cyprus, and once I entered the hotel, I realized I forgot to bring my contact lens. So I, I asked the reception, like, hey, can, do you have a pharmacy or drugstores in the hotel? And they said, unfortunately not, but maybe you can check out this app called Walt. I, I heard that they <laughs> deliver things, so I was like, oh, yeah, th thanks for the recommendations. I'll, I'll give, it a, give it a look. Um, but this kind of things are not coming naturally to our users, and we're making this a bigger, bigger chunk of what we're trying to offer in our app. So a lot of our retention effort is going into this, and as long as we still have this very, let's say, healthy uh, LTV development, we're going to continue promoting other verticals. All right, and Rodolfo, I think you had a bit of a different angle. Yeah, 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 yeah. So as I said earlier, as we rely only like on organic, we don't do much paid. So for us, like all users comes naturally. The word of mouth make it that we actually get lots and lots of users every day without us having to do much effort, which is an amazing, unique position to be in. But then the challenge when it comes to like, how do you actually retain all of these users? And how can you make sure that you understand who they are? Because that's also the thing, you know, sometimes when you've got uh, someone who does a TikTok video about us, and then all of a sudden we see like a huge amount of uh, new joiners, yet the video is not always about language learning. Sometimes it can actually be about dating, which is actually complete, the complete opposite of the, the aim of the app. You've got like tons of apps that actually does a great job into dating, but tell them try to really step out of it. Yet we see sometimes like these users that are actually coming not for language purposes. And this is sometimes the difficulty of like, how can you filter correctly who's coming into, within the community? Um, something that we've been working really hard with retention team. So like I said, like we had virality team, marketing team and uh, retention team was really to like, how can we embrace the user experience? And this started with how can we use AI and machine learning to really partner, like make you see like the right people, the people that we know that you would have the best interest with, the people that prob you probably have the same uh, learning preferences. You know, some people would like just to like have a conversation, talk, practice, while some other really want to be corrected at every single mistake that they make, which for example, is something that I would not like. And then it's really the question of like, how can you balance it out together? Um, we also, as we are also like, you know, primary like a texting app, it's also like, how can you make sure that you can manage supply and demand so you don't have so much time difference in the way that you're answering? So for instance, if you are here in Germany and you're trying to text like because you want to learn Chinese, for example, then you have like always about like, I don't know, like, seven hours time difference. And it's also like, how do you deal with those differences? So all of those questions match together. It's really like, how can you yes, really embrace the user experience? And this is something we've been trying really hard to work on. But it's also like how to keep the community safe. So how can you can make sure there is no there is no scammers? How to make sure that you get rid of all of the potential bad actors that could uh, that could arm your retention? Because if you're new joiners as a girl, for example, especially, and let's say that it can happen, we're trying to prevent it. But like all of a sudden, you've got 20 guys coming to you, texting you, being like, "Hey, how pretty you are! Hey, Ella, you look so gorgeous! Like, how about we have a talk together?" We have these kind of bad actors, and it's sometimes really hard to be able to understand who these people are and make sure that they are not negatively impacting your community. Um, and last but not least, something that we introduced this year is the concept of streak, which is actually like quite um, quite a thing already when you think about uh, Snapchat, when you think about Duolingo. Um, 
We started to do it like really much as like a first test, just to see whether or not we would actually be able to identify some potential there. And actually, after two weeks, we could already see like an uplift of 8% in retention, which is like quite big, just knowing that how sometimes like this really small effort can actually have huge uh, success. And then the point is really like, how can you make sure that it works market per market? When you look at the big picture, Overall number looks really good, but then when you look market per market, you can actually see an identify market that on which it has like a negative impact. For example, US, Germany, incredible. You guys, you just love having a streak and making sure like to have you send message every day and you're really consistent in your way of learning. Well, for countries such as like Italy, for example, they're really against it. Like they're really much rather do and have their own experience. Well, if you push them, they actually it has a negative impact. So it's like, how can you also take each of those local learnings, try to implement it all together to then have like a successful global strategy that would work for every single market positively and not just for some of them. Okay, excellent. Uh, the next question then jumping into a bit of a, uh, you know, what I always like talking about is uh, what have been your biggest learnings uh, from the, the last year overall across UA? So from hiring to set up to any testing, uh, Wendy, if you want to give us your yeah, ideas. Yeah, I'll, I always love this kind of question. So I think the biggest, if I would summarize like the, what the biggest learning could be this year was when I transitioned to Walt earlier this year, I had a chance to, to join um, some QBRs from the start, right? Like having the fresh pair of eyes, not really knowing how the company is doing, just to be there and learn about things. And then the QBRs were like two days long, and I was thinking, okay, there's like some thoughts in my head, but I, I will save it for the for the last days. Um, and then when I was asked to give feedback about how the QBRs went, I thought, okay, I'm gonna say it. I, I didn't understand why like the, the discussion we have and those QBRs always go directly into why is this metrics not working? Why are we seeing the downtrend on on this channel? But nobody talks about like how that tied to the goals. And then I started questioning, like, don't we have OKRs? Don't we have like things that we are, you know, trying to 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 get to? Um, and then I later, of course, like it took a few weeks until I, I realized that, you know, this is how not this company, this is not how the company is operating. Because at the end of the day, we all want to grow. That's like the north star. There's no like compromise on on growth. We want to expand as much as we can. So we do have, of course, a yearly plan. Um, but everything that you do throughout the year. It's your decision how you want to get there. And we don't overplan. We don't have like OKRs that are cascading down to teams or to individuals. We all work towards the same goals, and you can decide that on your own. So what I really learned is that you really don't need to spend a lot of time on you know, writing down those numbers for specific things that you want to measure. As long as you know what you're headed towards, everything you do has a, has a learning tie to it. Just to go back to the World Plus subscription Example, um, a lot of not we, we don't run World Plus um, advertising in all of the markets, right? Because for some markets, it's maybe we have not as good selections versus markets where selections are very complete. Um, we want to make sure that when we do advertise that, um, we, we're confident that we're generating some returns. But on the other hand, like World Plus is not not something that. I guess you can also, if you do simple math, right? You pay 4.99, you get you do two deliveries, you're already profitable. So how what is it in it for us then? Why we do do we do that? 
But if you think outside of the box, it's about like the user retention that you can drive in the longer run. It's also about your merchant relationships, people that can stick with you on your app and make sure that you provide the best experience for a user. So it's only positive long term. But if you don't have that learnings or you know, things that are um, helping you to make the decisions afterwards, then it's really hard to tie that together back to your goal. So what I really appreciate is at Walt, we just test very fast. We document things. Um, and then we repeat. If, even if we fail, that's like something that other markets can take as a learning. So there's no, yeah, let's say, over planning happening at Walt, and I find that very refreshing. Nice, uh, Alex. The biggest learning on your side? I think it mostly has to do with this shift towards profitability. Um, so in Europe, like, we only have I don't know 15, 20 years of software tech experience, and then you realize in the U.S. and in, in especially in the US, parts of Japan, also China, they have more like 25, 30, 35 years of, of software tech experience. And a lot of people in Europe are just not used to this idea that like profitability is more important than the culture, and profitability is more important than other things that were more important three, four years ago. Um, so it's kind of a learning journey, honestly, for a lot of Europeans. I, I also, I started working after 2008, so it's not like I, I saw a cycle myself, but. I just saw a lot of, uh, it's called a hubris in uh, hiring and external discussions where kind of, we kind of overestimate ourselves in Europe. It's like, hey, you know what? We haven't really seen as much as they have in other countries. So we can still learn a lot from people that have gone through previous down trends and how we can all crawl out of it together. And I, I think the trend is, is positive. Um, so just be open-minded to like, hey, you know, profitability for a vast majority of organizations is now the primary goal or secondary goal. That was just not the case five years ago. And we all need to be uh, open-minded to that and actually try and make it uh, interesting and uh, in, in some way exciting. Um, that's probably, yeah, that kind of stood out in the last year. All right, thanks. Uh, then maybe looking a little bit more forward, um, what kind of skills do you suggest then the app growth practitioners uh, should develop or, or adapt in their kind of strategy towards to being successful in 2024? Maybe, Rodolf, starting with you. Sure, um, just also to come back into the learning, but so, you know, two years ago, we were really much like department focus and 2023 was really where we had like these three teams where really marketing was at core. We were really with implement embedded within everything that retention was doing, everything that virality was doing. So we could actually oversee all of the activities all together um, because, you know, at the end of the day, marketing is really like the only entity that really starts as like first impression to app downloads, to in-app activity, to re-engagement, to reactivation. And so marketing is always like at every step of the way. And it's like the, the, what was really empowering and the big learning is really like how marketing can also like support every other, every other entity, every other stakeholders. And having this core ability to really like communicate vertically and horizontally with everyone and like really impose like a certain vision like really helped. But I think it's really the fact that we've been able to have like no key metric. So we had like two or three metrics that was literally the exact same goal for everyone, which really allowed the, everyone within the company to really speak the exact same language because there is nothing worse than a marketer trying to communicate with data, trying to commit with engineer and not speaking the same language and really cannot, not understanding each other. And by doing this kind of framework and working this way, it was really easy for me as a marketer, but also for the rest of the organization to really work towards the exact same goal. And I think that being at the 
center of the organization as marketer is actually what would be the key to success for an entire company. Um, and of course, like the big advice that also otherwise that I would give was uh, actually really just to embrace technology and embrace like every every single aspect of technology that can be used. Like I was speaking earlier about like using uh, AI and machine learning for better matching. Uh, also, like for the from a creative perspective, how can actually now having just like one videos allow you to create another ten videos in ten other languages in just five minutes? Um, and like, yeah, I think like Alex, you were also mentioning it, but also like the uh, automation of like every single task that you could do, like how powerful it can be. And then I think it's really about working with the technology. I don't think like technology per se is able to like as of now really like remove you. Maybe in the future there is like some position is some job that will be reviewed. But as, as of now, I truly believe that if you start from now really working aside and by hand with the technology, that would actually what's going to make like every single gross market uh, much more powerful. Yeah. All right. Ara, what about your uh, strategy to be successful? Yeah, t top three areas I would say that are really important, even this year, not just next year. I mean, data compliance and privacy—you really need to be on on top of that. It's it's changing fast. You know, scan Google Privacy Sandbox, cookie deprecation. Uh, you might see webinars and read about it, but it's it's important to talk to your analytics team about it and understand what are the gaps, how should you adapt, and then go beyond depending on your MMP. So AppsFlyer makes our lives much easier, but talk to your publishers, see how they're preparing for it as well. So I think that's one key area you should really look into if you haven't already. Um, second is with all the data challenges, I would invest time into probabilistic modeling, predictive analytics. I think that's going to be even bigger in the coming months. Uh, so really looking into how you optimize your campaigns when you're faced with these challenges. Um, and then last but not least, you know, you've, you've heard it over and over again, AI, but not just AI, like get, get your hands dirty <laughs> with it. Talk to your creative team, test out tools. Uh, don't just rely on like th what Google provides as AI tools, but test out other tools out there, paid tools and uh, build the skill in-house, you know, it, it, it's your, your prompting skills there or your designer's prompting is going to make or break what AI delivers for you. So I think it's an area where if you're an early adopter, you'll really see the, the benefits and efficiency, scale, uh, variety. And it's not just a buzzword, like it, it's already here. Yeah. Alex, anything to add from your side into 2024 then? We were joking about the word AI uh, <laughs> when we started speaking with the panel. It's like, is it kind of over discussed? Um, I'll describe the journey that I went through in the last 12 months and maybe that helps people. So uh, you need to stop using the word AI. This is just, it's not going to help anybody really. You need to look at what's going on currently. So in the last 12 months, some quite powerful models have been released. These models are good at certain things and bad at a lot of things. They're called generative AI. Some of them are called language learning models. There are other types of models, DALI, Midjourney, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what's going on though, if you stop using the word AI, is some things have become computationally reducible. It's a very complicated word to say a computer can now do it before it couldn't do it. Just what's going on is that it's touched the realm of creativity and critical, critical thinking or replicating or sort of synthesizing critical thinking or even simulating it. So the skill that you need to pick up, and it's, it's for everybody in this room, 
is number one, go and think about what targeting looked like 10 years ago in digital channels where who remembers like in Facebook campaigns like, oh, I got to select like 32 different attributes to target the exact right LTV cluster. How much has targeting changed in the last 10 years? Well, targeting has become computationally reducible. So we've been through this before. Like it's happened before to us, to a large portion of several jobs. And what's going on now is in the last 12 months, for not just one portion of your job, but the vast majority of your job, parts of it are becoming more and more computationally reducible. So the best way to progress as a team is sit together, understand together what does computational reducibility mean, and the best part about it is you can even spar with ChatGPT and ask it, please break down my job, please break it into tasks, and per task describe to me what is a little bit computationally reducible and what is almost entirely computationally reducible to give you some inspiration as to how to think about this. So please, stop using the word AI. It's not going to help us. Uh, what will help us is if we all collectively look at this as computational reducibility. And I don't get this myself. The word comes from a guy called Stephen Wolfram. I think he is a sort of neutral person in the field. He has a good description of... That's a hard word to remember, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I was like, how do you describe it? Computational reducibility. Stephen Wolfram, go and read some of his blog posts and you'll, uh, you'll get a better feeling for what's going on. Um, and we'll try to stop using the word AI in panels. Excellent. Uh, round of applause for our lovely panelists. I think that's all we have time for today. Thank you for all the insights. And uh, we don't have any time for questions, but if anybody does have any questions, feel free to try and chase them afterwards and uh, ask them, ask Alex about computational responsibility. <laughs> need a better word. If you have a better word. Uh... Thanks so much. Thank you. And that was App Growth Strategies for 2024 panel discussion from App Promotion Summit Berlin 2023. Featuring Wendy Tay, Head of Performance Marketing at Vault, Ara Salbashian, Head of Digital Marketing 3Now, Alexander Beresford, Chief Growth Officer TaxFix, and Rodolfe Helderworth, Head of Marketing at Tandem. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. Remember, we release episodes on Mondays. So subscribe and you will be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review or comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.